This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on this bright Saturday morning. Strong winds and cold, but it is bright. So get out there and enjoy it, but do wrap up warm. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours on the breakfast buffet. This morning on The Bottom Line, you've heard of Deluxe. Well, later, we'll be talking about Ultralux, an area of tourism which Fall to Ireland says offers a great opportunity for sustainable growth for Irish tourism in the long term. We'll be talking to author Michael Moriarty about his latest book, which is called How to Bring Your Best Self to Work. With appreciation for locally produced goods and services on the increase, we'll talk to goldsmith Mary Burke and textile artist Nicola Brown about Form Carlo, a group of artists and makers promoting high-end craft in Carlo, who are opening a pop-up shop for Christmas next Thursday in the Fairgreen Shopping Centre. But first, consumer confidence is a key indicator underpinning business and economic activity. The KBC Consumer Sentiment Survey is a monthly survey of a nationally representative sample of 1,000 adults throughout the country. It's been a long-running piece of research, providing a valuable insight into what Irish consumers are thinking, and it's tracked sentiment over many years, including during the financial crisis up to and throughout COVID. Earlier, I caught up with KBC economist Austin Hughes to talk about the latest results of the survey. I put it to him that November has been a difficult month and asked him to tell us about what the impact this is having on consumer confidence. Yeah, it's not surprising that consumer sentiment is down in November. Uh, The reality is that consumers are looking at a surge in COVID cases, uh, concerns that we might be seeing a step back in terms of uh, a more unfavourable Brexit ahead. And finally, there are a range of items uh, whose prices are shooting up, most notably the cost of energy, but really uh, quite a broad array of items, partly down to the pandemic, but also partly down to long-standing issues in Ireland. Uh, and that's reflected in the continuing difficulties around property prices and rents. Yeah, now, uh, it's not the first time we've had difficult uh, consumer confidence uh, figures, but the figures had been showing a recovery uh, back through the year. How bad have they been over the last two years? Uh, Consumer sentiment has been fairly weak for the last two years, but it had staged a recovery, as you say. Now, the reasons for the downturn are obviously Brexit, uh, concerns about the pandemic, and I suppose the the real worry that this crisis was going to be a rerun, possibly worse, of the financial crisis where not only was it severe, but it went on and on and on. So it's in those sort of circumstances that consumer confidence took quite a knock. It's gradually been rebuilding since the latter stages of last year. So, you know, consumers were beginning to put their head above the parapet. And I think if you look at the November uh, reading, it's just a modest decline compared to October. When we saw 
the pandemic hit, consumer sentiment went from about 85 to about 40. What we saw last month was consumer sentiment drop from 86 to uh, 81, right? So it's, it's a reasonably, sorry, 83.1. Uh, so it's a relatively modest decline, which says that consumers are a little bit worried, but they don't think the world is ending. Mm, and it's very important to maintain a, a sense of perspective, and that figure of 40 certainly puts it into perspective. I, I was encouraged to see you writing in your commentary on the research that it's a, it's a decrease in confidence, but not a... A, a collapse in confidence. That's um, so. We're not looking at a, a cancelled Christmas, but perhaps a careful Christmas. Yeah, that's the way we describe it. And when you look at the the actual answers to the individual questions, what we see is that you have a reduction in optimistic answers but not a dramatic increase in pessimistic answers so if you think about what had been coming through in economic news through the late summer it was a booming economy it was forecasts for rapid growth it it was some sort of clarification on the tax framework globally that meant we weren't at risk of losing all our multinational companies as had been suggested in some apocalyptic scenarios so there was a a range of items coming through that made consumers feel a little more positive about the outlook and we've seen that scaled back but it doesn't mean that people feel as I say the world is ending now in part that's because there is a strong sense that actually we've managed to get through this pandemic a good deal better than we got through the financial crisis and a very important element to that is that if you think back to the financial crisis the first thing that we heard of was well this is a crisis for the public finances so let's cut spending and increase taxation what we've seen instead this time is the government take on an unprecedented uh, level of support for the economy through the pandemic unemployment payments the wage subsidy scheme the the ramping up of health spending uh, And all those elements mean we've had a much more enlightened policy response. So I think, you know, again, when it happened in February of last year, consumers were worried about the pandemic and they were worried about its aftermath because they worried there would be a big payback, much as there was after the financial crisis. But now there is a much stronger sense that the public finances, you know, are not in as bad a state as might have been feared and that the fiscal response has underpinned the economy and that in turn has meant we haven't had seen the same collapse in tax revenues that might have that occurred during the previous crisis. So all in all, we're in a much more virtuous circle. It's still very tough out there, but the fact that the public finances have actually contributed to recovery rather than being a source of increasing pain Mm. is a key element. And on the other side, we have a much more enlightened European Central Bank because there was a a very significant tightening of credit conditions, uh, you know, in 2009 and into 2010. 
Uh, and instead, what we found now is that the central bank, the European Central Bank, is coming up with unprecedented ways to actually get more money flowing through the economy. So all those elements have meant that consumers felt, okay, maybe we can ride this one out. And in that regard, consumers are probably taking a view. Christmas could be ropey, so we need to be careful, but we don't need to to cancel it completely. Yeah, it sounds to me really that uh, consumers are responding uh, in a a kind of sensible way because we all know that over-exuberance and over-confidence can lead to uh, negative effects as well, ergo the financial crisis that you talked about before. Well, the history of the consumer sentiment survey that goes back to early 1996 could be summed up in the phrase once bitten twice shy that consumers felt you know that the world was their oyster in the early 2000s and uh, that they were you know entitled to a lavish love uh, lifestyle I'm sorry I'm making a cartoon version of the the series but once that you know the, the pain and the reality of the financial crisis hit home there was a sense well I'm not going to be caught in the same way again so consumers have been cautious if you look at you know borrowing numbers we've seen um, you know a very sharp downturn in debt household debt and at the same time we've seen households build up their assets you know people often talk about uh, the government owing about 50,000 for every man, woman and child in Ireland. Mm. But when you look at household net worth, and that's the value of household assets, be they property or financial cash, uh, and offset that with the value of their borrowings, you end up with a number that's close to 190,000 for every man, woman and child. So Mm. it's quite an extraordinary number. Indeed. Um, uh, How is all this slide in consumer confidence likely to actually impact on the amount of money being spent with retailers uh, and so on this uh, this uh, Christmas season because that's what many people will be worried about the money coming through the tills Okay, well, I think there are good reasons to to be a little worried there. And part of it is that we haven't seen a surge in incomes. We haven't seen a surge in borrowing. So the amount of money that people have is quite limited. Um, And in that respect, the problem is that we've moved from inflation being negative to inflation, you know, of around 5% at the moment. And the cost of... uh, energy going up by about 20%. So there's a lot of money already spoken for before people head to the shops or or head to the restaurants for their Christmas uh, bash. So in that regard, I think we will see some pullback probably in Christmas spending this year partly because of caution and partly because many consumers, the cash is already spoken for. Um, And in that respect, uh, you know, the survey suggests, I think it's around 13% of consumers saying they would 
spend more and 37% saying they would spend less. Now, we're not talking about a lot less. We're, we're talking about, you know, just a pairing back. But, you, you know, particularly this weekend when people talk about Black Friday and the surge, we're going to see consumers hit the shops and hit the Internet because they think they will get bargains and that will be a way of spending less than they would otherwise. Mm. So I think, you know, again, a history of the consumer sentiment survey would say we've become a much more careful and cautious consumer. We've been one that's engaged in a form of guerrilla warfare with retailers whereby, you know, you don't buy unless it's on special offer or there's something very attractive about the the good or service. Uh, And it's certainly something that now it's a badge of courage to say how much you saved when you bought something rather than how much something you were able to afford. That sounds kind of like uh, a sentiment of which economists would approve. In the main, it would. But there is also this idea uh, that Keynes spoke about nearly 100 years ago of the paradox of thrift. If everyone stops spending, the economy goes into a tailspin. So, you know, that's why I think it's important to to emphasize the nuanced message of the Consumer Sentiment Index. It is careful rather than cancelled Christmas. So, you know, you will still see money coming through the tails. You will still see, um, you know, a celebration of Christmas, uh, you know, from uh, the, the, the feverish search people are probably going to have over the next few days to catch up uh, on the late, late, the, those extraordinary things in the late, late toy show to the, the special bargain they want uh, for a loved one this Christmas. There, there will still be spending and while it may seem that all economists are followers of Ebenezer Scrooge, the reality is that the economy relies on spending as much as it relies on production. Well, look, we leave it there, Austin. Pleasure to talk to you as usual. All the best, John. Austin Hughes, economist there. Very interesting to listen to him. So remember that. Christmas is not cancelled. I know there's a challenged uh, feeling out there with news of new variants and so on, but encouraging to hear that it may not be as bad as first expected. But be cautious uh, in relation to your health, as just as Austin says, uh, people are being cautious and sensible with their money. And last night, the toy show, I think, lifted the nation. Interesting to see that Revolut uh, suffered a bit of a glitch uh, during the programme, and uh, one of their founders, Vlad Yatsen, Senko uh, stepped in to avert probably a big crisis of confidence in them. He he sent a tweet early this morning that said, what an incredible support Revolut app customers gave to a worthy charity on the RT Late Late Show. Uh, granted, he said, there were some challenges at the peak of the live campaign for WhatsApp. I think that's a bit of an understatement. So what he's done is he's personally donated €100,000 and he said he'll match any further donations this weekend via Revolut up to one million so showing how to deal with a crisis lots more on the bottom line between now and 10 o'clock do stay with us we'll be back just after these at the heart of it all at the heart of it all KCLR
Exactly 25 minutes after 9 o'clock, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Now, Michael Moriarty is an author well known in these parts, as amongst other things, a former president of Carlow Chamber of Commerce. His latest book is called How to Bring Your Best Self to Work, Strategies for Career Success. Now, during the week, I caught up with Michael to chat about the book, and I began by asking him to talk about why, both from a career point of view, but perhaps more importantly, from a personal well-being point of view, it is very important for people to bring their best selves to work. Yeah, so many people are focused on their career now, John. And, you know, life is all about choices and taking charge of your own life uh, and, you know, have, don't have excuses like self-pity, self-doubt or blaming others. These are, in a way, and I'm saying this about myself because I did that for a long time myself, but it's a bit of a cop-out, really, you know. And um, but it's all about how you see the world. Um, uh, and most people... You know, you get up, your, your natural default position is negativity. You know, when it goes back to when we were cave, living in caves, you always had to be on your toes and fear the worst from some passing line or bore or whatever it might be. And that's in our genetics. So we need to, we need to be, remain, try and um, be aware of our mindset and mm. know that our mindset is important. As Plato once said, the first um, and best victory is to conquer oneself. Yeah, now attitude and motivation and that word mindset comes up. How Have you got any tips for how people can actually improve their mindset? Or, you know, you talk there about pessimism. How do you become more optimistic? Well, having, you see, your attitude controls your life. How you see the world or how you feel about any situation or event can determine the level of success you'll have in your own life and career. And, and in fact, the level of happiness, you know. So you can, your, your attitude can be either positive or negative. And, and, and so as Buddha one says, what you think is what you become. So um, no pessimist, you know, ever made it, would ever, ever made it to the moon or discovered stars. Uh, they were all positive people. Uh, you know, Magellan, um, uh, Columbus, all those people were, were positive. They really believed in themselves. Uh, and so they, they, they exploited their own potential. And we, we still remember them today for their exploits. And that's because they had the right attitude, a positive can-do attitude. And, you know, sometimes we have to watch our thought process, and we don't do that. You know, mm. we, we do so much of it, but we never focus on ourselves. And maybe, you know, when we were kids, I was certainly anyway, and my mother would say, don't be boasting, don't be this, don't be that, don't be selfish or whatever. I think you have to be a little bit selfish and you have to really believe your own capabilities um, uh, to perform in life. I often recall, and it's in my book about, on my family, my, my brothers were, were, you know, a star pupils. I wasn't, but I did decide in my late teens that I was going to be the best I could be. And uh, I mightn't have been a great footballer or gracious at uh, math or whatever it was be, but I had talent, mm. you know. And uh, so we need to discover our own talents. Yeah, now success uh, is one thing, Michael, but I suppose the flip side of success is failure. But often uh, people who are successes um, have also often experienced failure. You write about that in your book. Give us some I examples. Do, I do. And I would recurse to be is Abraham Lincoln who became president, was elected president of America. But I think he had failed, I think it was 67 times before that to be elected. Wow. So there's a lot to be said for resilience, you know. And I often, Oprah Winfrey uh, once said, you don't become what you want, you become what you believe. 
All right. So if you believe you can, you will do. And I was, I'm, I'm, I'm not a young man now, but I, I grew up in the '60s. And John F. Kennedy and the Can Do, you know, ask what your country can do for you. You know, the positivity, the young man, the dynamic. I know he ended in the tragic circumstances, but, but like that Can Do attitude had a huge impact on me when I was a very young, you know, preteen. Mm. And communication skills, as you write in your book, are, are a large part of it. But uh, oftentimes people think communication skills are, are made, uh, but are born. But you can actually work on them, and it is a skill worth uh, working on. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, um, I was involved in senior leadership, in, in, as you know, in, in, at national level here in Ireland, and also also in Europe. And I did perfect, and I knew I knew by looking, and the reason I wrote the book was, I observed people over 30 years, and I was saying, why are some people successful? Now, I won't name people, but why are they successful? And others, who probably equally talent, aren't. One of the key things is not just having the talent and the positive attitude, but it's able to communicate, because you need, you know, as leaders, always a very simple definition of leaders is always a person who has followers. Unless you can communicate, you don't. You don't have followers, you know. Mm. So, uh, in anything, in any path of life, if we need to get on, we need to get on with people, and we need to communicate. We have that communication ability, and we can learn that. Mm. We can learn, you know, it's, um, verbal uh, communication, all kinds of communication. We can learn that. Mm. Another C word, of course, uh, a couple of C words, are uh, as well as communication, are change, which is all around us, but particularly so in this era of COVID. Change is is uh, is an omnipresent thing now, and oftentimes people are experiencing quite dramatic change, not always positive. What are your tips on coping with change, and how essential is it to keep coping with change in the well, modern world? Well, you quite rightly said there that that uh, you know life has always been full of change in our own personal lives, uh, but even more so now in business and in um, working in the public sector, no matter where you work, there is huge and rapid change, as we have seen to the nth degree over the last uh, 18 months with the, since the advent of COVID. We've had to very, very quickly adapt to different ways. Nobody, you know, the company that stands still dies. It's as simple as that. So, you you know, um, many organisations like yourselves or, or, or people in retail have had to very quickly, um, you know, go online very quickly to survive. So once there was an urgency about something, once there was a crisis, people reacted as they would in any circumstances, reacted by getting things done, by by adapting to change. And now we have, you know, I often see about, uh, you know, um, pubs which are food. They actually have, you know, they have inside and outside now. Mm. So, so there are huge benefits to be gained about this. So... Um, uh, I, I, you know, um, the the best leaders I always feel are people who have vision and who have values and have good emotional intelligence or empathy with others. So the person with vision, that's what a leader does. A leader is a person out front who has vision, who's all the time looking at the horizon of how you can do things better. Mm. You know, of not keeping up with your neighbours, of actually being ahead of your neighbours in, in the commercial sense. Yeah. They're the people who will survive constantly living with change. Yeah, now health and well-being are words we hear a lot of these days, but they're really uh, central to maintaining a drive to succeed. And you have a whole section on that in your book. I do, yeah, I do. And I, I put that in because I, I remember when uh, I remember uh, a number of years ago, uh, one morning I got up the Nays Road towards Dublin. It was a beautiful June morning. 
And I was going to a meeting, which a meeting of I won't say it was had no consequence, but it wasn't a, a meeting that I was concerned about in, in Dublin. And yet I had this feeling of dread, you see. And I discovered what it was. I had this terrible feeling of dread the whole time, you know, uh, mm. of fear or something hanging over me. And it was because I always lived in the future. <laughs> I was always planning ahead, and I never lived sufficiently in the moment. And I read a book called The Power of Now, and I forget the guy's name who wrote it, but you get it on the web as well. The Power of Now taught me an awful lot about living and enjoying the present. Some of us don't do that. Another thing in terms of health and well-being that many of us uh, might, might uh, uh, I suppose, suffer one, uh, if, well, it's related to that, is this destination addiction. I, in other words, I'll be happy when I get here. I'll mm. be... I'll be fulfilled when I achieve this. I will be something, something, something. And it was always down the road rather than being happy and fulfilled now. And the third thing, the three-part vote to this, it's in my book as well as the work-life balance, you know, uh, uh, how important that is. It's so important. Uh, and I know that all organizations, or certainly all the smart organizations now are promoting well-being because they realize a happy workforce a he- is a healthy workforce, and a healthy workforce will work, work for, you know, it will get, we'll, we'll get on, we'll have less problems and less trouble. Mm. Of course, this book is called How to Bring Your Best Self to Work, so not necessarily for managers only or, or business leaders, but you do have quite a, a significant section in the book called Leading to Leadership. Just give us some of the headlines uh, for that on developing yeah, leadership. There are 12 chapters on how, how to become a competent leader, why good organisations grow future leaders, uh, the importance of relationship in leadership, you know, and, and developing what leaders always, the good leaders, developing the trust culture in the workplace. That is so important, you know. And, uh, and that leadership in the digital world which we were talking about change, you know, how, how quick, rapid change is now. And, uh, you know, how, how to be inclusive, uh, you know, how to be an inclusive leader, mm. and the importance of values and empathy. Yeah, talk to us a bit about leadership in a digital world, Michael. That's an interesting one because it has changed leadership so much. Yeah, I've always, I've always said that you're only as good as the people around you. So if you're not, if you're not, um, you know, younger people than me are digital natives. You know, you could see even children of three, four, five how capable they are on on phones and iPads and so on. Uh, and uh, a person my age that mightn't be, I'm always catching up, as it were. But that never, in my own jobs in life, never bothered me because I I, I always had good people around me. You know, so while I might have been. I might have been a bit of a tortoise in the race, right? But I was moving forward, but not as fast as the rest. Uh, you had to you had to hire the best people with digital skills, people who, and that's so important, of course, in commerce today, as you well know. And most people will have most organisations will have people who who are capable on um, Facebook, on Instagram, you know, um, doing videos and whatever. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So digital a digital world is where it's at. Um, young people, young people uh, want everything for instant. Younger generation, I'm talking about Gen Z, Generation X, all the rest. Of them, um, they they want something fairly instant. So you have to be, uh, you have to be digital. Have a high digital profile on the web. Michael Moriarty there talking about his book How to Bring Your Best Self to Work a lot of common sense from Michael it's available in bookshops in Carlow in the Arboretum in Lachlan Bridge and in bookshops in Kilkenny you can also get it online through michaelmoriarty.ie coming up we'll be talking about local artisan producers and how best to support them 
The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie you're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, Form Design Made in Carlow is a group of artisan makers promoting high-end craft in County Carlow. And the good news is that Form Carlow are opening a pop-up shop next Thursday in the Fairgreen Shopping Centre. So you'll have a great opportunity to get along and see what artists across County Carlow have got in store for you. Joining me on the line is jeweller Mary. Mary Burke from Deborka Design and Nicola Brown from Nicola Brown Textiles. Good morning, both. Good morning. Good morning. Morning, John. Nicola, you tell us first. Tell us a bit about Form Carla. Well, we're a group of 10 designer makers and collectively our aim is to raise the profile of Carlo as a destination for high quality design and craft and also to raise the profile of the makers within the group. And we provide a forum for the exchange of views, objectives, activities, constructive criticism, etc. So it's a wonderful forum for professional class people in County Carlow. And Mary, you're a jeweller, uh, but it's not confined to jewellery or indeed textiles. There's a range of different uh, crafts and artisan makers involved in the group. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to have, there'll be ceramics, uh, some pieces made from stone, there'll be polymer clay jewellery, as well as precious metal jewellery and uh, timber goods as well. There's a whole range of items available. Mm, I would imagine it's a pretty good time uh, for people uh, in the whole area of high quality local craft because personally speaking I've never seen appreciation for locally made goods so high. I think yes, very, very much so. Because during lockdown in particular people started looking locally for all their shopping needs in fact and at that stage discovered how many wonderful people there were, were involved in small businesses and I think that trend of supporting local and buying handmade products has continued now. Mary, you're finding that too? Oh, most definitely, yes. I mean, people are making an effort to shop local. You know, you find that when you say that you're, you are from the locality, they automatically want to support you, which is great and that gets passed down onto other businesses as well you know so it's very much would help to lift a whole community and Mary your jewellery is available online and I know from speaking to you previously that your website is very important to you Um, are you expecting a busy Christmas so it it must be an extra demand to have to be involved in establishing a new retail outlet Uh, it is but I I have to say probably my heart is in retail like as in the the shop side of it because it's it's meeting the customer and finding out what they want and you know being able to service them and their needs in what I make and that's the joy of it it's so nice if you meet somebody and they come in and they're wearing a piece of your jewellery like that's the best feeling in the world so yeah uh, now and uh, the website is great and it's there 24-7 but definitely face to face is is my favourite aspect Yeah you took something of a a scenic route to uh, a career as a jeweller you were doing a PhD in neuroscience uh, when you got the road to Damascus moment Most definitely, yes, absolutely. And actually, I was calculating, that was, um, I think, about 22 years ago, this month, that that happened. So, um, yeah, that's that's a long time ago, that Damascus moment, but yes. Yeah, Nicola, um, tell us a bit about your practice. Uh, I'm interested to see that sustainability and environmental uh, considerations play a key uh, role, not just in the way you work, but also in your actual work that you produce. 
Yes, I would say that my niche really is developing a sustainable textile practice. I'm primarily a felt maker and eco printer. And what that means in essence is growing my own vegetation, trees and dye plants to color my handmade felt and other locally produced fabric. So my whole practice encompasses growing the vegetation, making the fabric, printing the fabric and helping others try and aim for sustainable practices in their studio too. Mm. We've recently heard heard so much about the, the challenge facing us all because of the climate crisis. How are people responding uh, to you making um, sustainability such a central part of your work? I suppose, John, I have a very niche market and I've been very lucky that the people who come to my online or in-person workshops or follow my YouTube channel, at the core, they are interested in the environment and sustainability. So my main practice involves working without any traditional powdered chemicals. I actually harness the power of rusty metal and old pots, etc., to influence the colors that I'm achieving. And I have a growing group of people worldwide who are interested in those same values. Fantastic. Now, Mary, tell us about the pop-up shop. It's opening next Thursday. What can people expect? Yes, so, yeah, 10 a.m. next Thursday, and it's going to be every day open from the 2nd till the 24th of December. Um, And what they can expect is a wide variety of goods that will satisfy all the different gifts that you might need. Um, So there'll be, you know, smaller items to larger pieces as well. And you also get the benefit of actually meeting the maker that created those goods and finding out the story behind it, you know. And maybe this might be the start of something that, you know, this relationship will build with the maker and you will come back to them again to add to that collection. And that's a lovely thing to have. Mm. Retail Um, is so much about the experience uh, these days. Nicola, um, it sounds to me from your earlier comments that you actually have relationships with the people that you produce work for. Yes, I don't do many uh, I don't really do any trade anymore I just like working with individuals and doing events like the upcoming pop-up shop so I've built a really good relationship with people primarily in America and Australia as well as Ireland and I have repeat customers who come back to me time and time again Australians for example love the fact that I grow eucalyptus trees here Mm. and they're fascinated Uh, that I can colour my textiles with the leaves because obviously the trees are indigenous to their country. So building a relationship and telling a story is the most important aspect of my practice, certainly. Mm. So um, an exciting uh, Christmas season in store, Mary. Uh, You're encouraging people to come along and visit you and your fellow makers uh, from a range of different uh, Carlo-based producers over the next couple of weeks. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Every day we're going to be there in the fair green, so everyone is more than welcome to come in. And it's, there's loads of space in the, in the unit that we have, so there's lots of room to browse and get a good feel of what's available and what's on offer. And maybe it might spark something in them t- to create themselves as well, because it's very much about raising that whole profile of Carlo mm. as being a, a destination for quality design. And uh, really exciting, because I would presume there will be a huge footfall and a 
and a fantastic shop window, no pun intended, for all your work. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward actually to making a very, very nice window. And um, having been in there yesterday, yes, there's lots of football around already and plenty of people wondering and curious as to what's going into the unit. So, yeah, well, yeah, look. It all will be revealed. Well, best of luck to everybody with that. It sounds absolutely fantastic. That's Mary Burke from De Burke Design and Nicola Brown, uh, Nicola Brown Textiles, both taking part in the Forum Carlo new pop-up shop, which is opening next Thursday in the Fairgreen Shopping Centre in Carlo. Do go along and support your local craft makers. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie KCLR. The heart of two counties. Nine and a half minutes away from 10 o'clock, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Now, during the week, the Collins Dictionary announced their word of the year for 2021, which was NFT. doesn't sound like a word to me, more like a, an acronym, but it's a word according to the people in Collins. And it stands for non-fungible token, apparently. Now, not to be outdone by Collins, the Oxford Dictionary were out earlier in the month with their word of the year, which was VAX. Well, between all the various new words, one that passed me by now, uh, until now, I should say, was Ultralux. Well, according to Falcha Ireland, the Ultralux market segments are an area of high potential for Irish tourism. And during the week, Falcha Ireland held a series of workshops for tourism providers targeting the leisure and Ultralux market. Joining me on the line to talk about this is Martin Donnelly, Product Sales and Distribution Manager for Falcha Ireland. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, John. Yeah, now we last talked about golf when you were last on the bottom line. Tell us all about, I know what golf is just about, but I don't know what Ultralux is. Tell us about the Ultralux market. Yeah, John, thanks for having me on. It's much appreciated. Um, This Ultralux market is a segment of the leisure tourism market. Um, And it is a very lucrative segment, John. And when I say lucrative, you know, the the average spend could be in excess of 1,000 per day or Ten to 20,000 per week for a couple, just to give you a, a sort of a ballpark as to the sort of spend that's involved in it. Wow. It's a very interesting segment, John, in that it's it's probably, you know, you would imagine it's probably driven or defined by, you know, a, a tread count or Michelin stars, but it's actually more driven by access to people, places and experiences that represent a, an authentic experience in the destination they're traveling to. And that's one of the reasons we, we would certainly in Paul Ireland have been walking over the last year at targeting this segment because we believe we have those authentic, immersive experiences in spades right across the island. Um, so I suppose this week's uh, four-day workshop, virtual workshop, where we saw 24 of Ireland's top performing tour operators and DMCs, mm. some of which were operating in this ultralux market, and over 150 suppliers engage in contracting appointments with those buyers. Um, that was a culmination of a year's work yeah. where we established an Ultralux working group and a Ultralux ready program for, training program for the suppliers to get prepared to authentically compete in this segment. Yeah, now you mentioned DMCs. What, what's a DMC? DMC is a destination management company. Ah, and right, those okay. Companies, uh, yeah, so they are, they, are, they are companies who bring business onto this island and handle 
that business when it is on the end and making sure everything is is delivered to the highest standards when when our international visitors are on the ground. Yeah, now I would uh, imagine the Ultralux segment is quite small numerically, but it's very valuable. How much do you reckon it would be worth per year to Ireland? Well, we know, we, we I suppose we have... Um, Compared to our potential zone, we're probably underperformed in this space. It, it is worth an over 300 billion worldwide, and we would certainly be getting a small percentage of that. But that's why we are doing what we're doing. That's why we've created the Ultralux Ready program. That's why we've created Ultralux uh, working groups so that we can, you know, as I was saying earlier, legitimately compete, you know, position ourselves correctly in that segment, and then legitimately compete in that segment. And, you know, the work we've done, you know, if you base the sort of information I've received back from those luxury DMCs that have engaged in this workshop uh, uh, this week, they are very impressed with what the suppliers have done, very impressed with the prep they've done, very impressed with their pitch and how they've, uh, you know, adapted their offering to suit this particular marketplace. So we're on the right road, John. We've yeah. got a lot of work to do. But Now, but tell uh, what people would be listening. Yeah, people would be thinking about you know, the type of people who spend 20 grand a week between two people on their holidays. What kind of ultra-lux experiences have we got to offer them in this area and who's been taking part in your workshop? Well, I suppose if you, if you tweak... It's, it's, it's probably relatively simple by compa- compared to what it might sound like, John. So just just in this week, you know, in the Kilkenny area alone, we've had Mozart's pub and hurling experience. We've had Haybag Orchards. We've Shenanigans Walk, we've had Butler's Gallery, we've had Kikene Civic Trust all engaging with these these uh, distribution partners. So it is about adapting your experience, John, as much as it is, as we were saying earlier, about thread count or mm. Michelin stars to ensure that the experience that that customer gets is an authentic one. You know, these customers are looking to get up close and personal to local people yeah. in Ireland. Making sure that they can engage, they can understand their culture, understand how, for example, they've earned a living out of in, out of the Irish economy and what that looks like. So it is about engagement, immersive, immersiveness in that culture. Yeah. And that experiential type of tourism, John, is what they're looking for more than what you might expect, if you get me. Yeah. In terms of that, that, that really high end, uh, you know. Now, of course, they are looking for, uh, you know, quality accommodation. There's no question about that. But that immersiveness is key to success in this segment. Well, Martin, uh, sounds very interesting indeed, and we look forward to having you on the programme again in the future to tell us more about how that whole segment is growing. Thank you very much, Martin, for joining us this morning on The Bottom Line. Just Thank you so much for, for the opportunity to talk about the work we're doing, John. It is appreciated. Thanks a million, Martin. Uh, that's Martin Donnelly, who's Product Sales and Distribution Manager with Falch Ireland, bringing us to the end of the programme this week, because that's all we've got time for on the bottom line. If you'd like to listen back to the show, head to the KCLR app and check out the podcast, or just search for the bottom line on KCLR anywhere you get your podcast. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email the bottom line at kclr96fm.com. Thanks to all our guests this week, Austin Hughes, Michael Moriarty, Mary Burke, Nicola Brown and Martin Donnelly. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks to you for listening as always. Edward Hayden is up next with the Saturday show. Stay tuned to KCLR and until we speak uh, next week, hopefully after the news at nine, stay safe and keep the faith. 
The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie.